uh, primary names and titles. We looked at that last week. We also looked at secondary names and names and titles of the creatures used by Satan. And today we're at names and titles reflecting character traits. And if you've been with us, we've been studying theology for the past, I don't know, three years? For a long, a long time. Uh, and we've got a long time to go. But uh, we'll be th- through this particular study on angels, good, bad, and satanic, Satan. But uh, tonight we have uh, the, this, this particular study and maybe one or two more, and then we should be moving on to another doctrinal issue. But uh, we want to start tonight about the name and character trait of Satan. And first off, he is called the tempter, the tempter. Now, as you know, you probably read Matthew chapter 4 many times, but you know the story there in, in chapter 4, Satan is tempting Jesus. And in verse 3, these words are said, Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, as a tempter, Satan is always tempting. You know that he tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden and Adam. You know that he tempts you. He tempts all of us. And what happens is when we give in to the lies of Satan and we allow the temptation to take us down that road, we know that there's going to be consequences for that. But he's constantly tempting us. And temptation is one of his primary weapons. I mean, he dangles the carrot in front of us and it makes things look so good. And then once you take a bite like Eve did, then you realize your whole world falls apart. So the whole thing about Satan tempting us is uh, very, very real, not just in biblical times, not just with Jesus there in, in the, and Jesus gets ready to go into the wilderness after his baptism or Eve in the Garden of Eden, but also he comes and he puts those temptations in your mind. He puts those in temptations in front of your eyes, and we are tempted at times to sin, and we have to understand that it's a lie, it's deceptive, and it will destroy the second verse there that I want to show you is in First Thessalonians 3, 5. It's, Paul said, For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor may be in vain. Now, if you know anything about the books of First and Second Thessalonians, you know that Paul was in Thessalonica about two weeks. That's all the time that he had there. But he preached with such passion that the Thessalonians, the Christians there, believed the second coming had taken place and many of them had missed it. And and, uh, they were being tempted. And and Paul's saying, listen, listen, lest the tempter come and tempt you that our labor might be in vain. But that church at Thessalonica became a very strong church and... uh, Paul didn't spend much time there, but he he preached with such passion, such conviction, and he had to write both of those letters to be sure that they didn't let the tempter tempt them and draw them away from the faith. So another character trait or title that's used of Satan is also the accuser of the brethren. The accuser of the brethren. And we find this in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and uh, the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come. 
for the accuser of our brethren who accuses them before our God day and night has been cast down. Now we talked about the story of, uh, of Job and you remember that Job, uh, that, that Satan was able to tempt Job and we know that he said, your servant Job, if you weren't blessing him so much, he would turn his back on you basically. And God says, all right, let's see. But Satan is the accuser of the brethren. So guess what? As believers, when we sin, guess what Satan's doing? Aha, you see? And he's accusing us before the Father, the accuser of the brethren. He's also called the wicked one. And uh, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, John was writing as an old man, and he said, I write to you little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake, not for yours, but his. I write to you fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children, because you, know, you have known the father. So John is writing, and he's, he's encouraging them, and he's saying, listen, you have overcome the wicked one. And when we think of the wicked one, we think of him, someone that's something that's immoral or sinful. And he's saying, you've overcome. And guess what? We, we overcome, not based upon our own strength, but based upon greater is he that's within us than he that's within the world. And that's how we overcome. And uh, that's how we overcome the wicked one. And that's how we continue to stand fast for faith and the truth. And we stand against wrong. He also was called a murderer. In John's Gospel, in chapter 8, verse 44, uh, he said, You are of your father the devil. Now, you know who he's talking to here? The religious leaders, the Pharisees. He's saying, You're of your father the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. <clears throat> what did they want to do? Jesus. Kill him. They wanted to kill him. And he knew. Remember in John chapter 2, I think it's in verse 25, Jesus would not commit himself to certain people because he knew what was within man. You are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning in Eden and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now, Jesus, we think of Jesus being meek and mild and timid. Jesus wasn't timid. <laughs> Jesus stood for truth. I mean, he was looking down the religious crowd and saying, you're of your father the devil. Now, that, 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 that takes... A man. That takes someone with, that, that, that's strong. And Jesus was meek and mild, but he was also incredibly strong. And you know, it was said of Moses, he was the meekest man on earth. Me, being meek means power under control. And you've seen some people that can't control their power. But being meek, like Jesus was, this is power under control. This is truth being spoken. And I also said the murderer, and I, it's in the same, same passage here. And he's the liar and father of lies. Now, have you ever been around someone that just can't tell the truth? 
<laughs> I, I don't think there's anything worse than that, do you? I mean, because when someone just lies to you constantly, you can't trust them in anything, right? And Satan is a liar and the father of lies. I asked the young girl in my office that was saved a little bit ago. I, I said, her mother was sitting there. I said, I said, come here, let me whisper this in your ear. I said, have you ever told a lie? And she backed up and looked at me, and she looked at her mother, and she goes, yes. <laughs> and I said, good, because if you had said no, I would have said you just lied. <laughs> but <clears throat> he is the father of lies. In other words, every lie that, that we tell or is told originates with Satan. He's the father of it. And so many people, unfortunately, can't be truthful. So let's, let's move on just a little bit farther. Names and titles in relation to the world. Now, that may sound kind of strange, but I think you'll understand it when I, when I share some of these with you. He is the, he's called the prince of this world in John chapter 12, verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Now you say, now wait a minute. God created everything. God's over everything. Well, but think about what's being talked about here. He is, now the, the, is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. It's talking about the world of sinful humanity. And it will be, they will be cast out. Why? They're following the wrong ruler. You see, <clears throat> Jesus told the story. And it's in Matthew 7 when he was speaking on the mount and giving that sermon and he said some of you call me Lord, Lord but you don't do the things that I ask you and they'll say we've done marvelous works in your name, we've cast out demons in your name and what will Jesus say to them depart from me I never knew you now, I can't think of any harsher words than those to be standing before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and to hear those words. You also know in that passage he talks about there are two roads, doesn't he? One that's wide, and where does it lead? To destruction. One that's straight, and where does it lead? To heaven. We get the choice. We make the choice. The next thing that I want you to see, he's called the God of this age or this world in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. So, the apostle Paul, before he was Paul, he was Saul. And Saul was a religious Jew. He was a Pharisee. And he had a commission to go kill Christians, destroy the churches. And where was he going when he was struck down? Damascus, 
And what happened to his eyes? They were blinded. And who was told to go to the street called Straight? And Ananias. And what happened then? The scales removed were removed from his eyes. And the rest of his life, he was no longer blinded because he didn't believe the gospel, but he believed the gospel. In fact, he's the one that's writing this. Don't you think he is remembering what happened to him during his conversion? Whose minds the God of this age is blinded, as it did mine, Paul's saying, who do not believe, because I didn't believe in Jesus, his death, burial, resurrection, he's the Son of God, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. During that conversion experience, what did he see? That bright light. And then he heard the voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Now, until the light comes on, it doesn't matter how big of a picture we paint, until the Lord opens the hearts and minds of people, they can never or will never come to the knowledge of the truth. So what you have to do is say, Lord, open my eyes that I may see. What's that song? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. We sang last, last Sunday, right? Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see, Lord. I want to see you. I want to see you. And, and that's so true. It, but he is called <clears throat> the prince of the world. He's called the God of this world or this age. And he is also called the prince of the power of the air. And we have that in Ephesians 2 too. And and the Apostle Paul writing again, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Every one of us were there. We all were walking in sin, living in sin. All of us. Even though, I mean, I was converted at nine and a half, May 2nd, 1970. But you know what? I was living in sin. And I recognized it. I realized it. And the Lord opened my eyes and conviction came into my heart and repentance came out of my mouth and Forgiveness came rushing in. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, <coughs> excuse me, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. I was, uh, just today, I clicked on an Adrian Rogers sermon. And uh, I was reading some comments. And, and one of the comments was, this man said, I was homeless I was a drug addict. I was lost in sin. I had lost my family. Everything that I had was gone. And I heard Adrian Rogers preach. And the Spirit of God touched my life. And this man said, Now, all these years later, I'm also a minister of the gospel. <laughs> what God can do through brokenness. But... When that happens, that spirit works in the sons of disobedience. But instead, what, what spirit do we have? The Holy Spirit of God. And then what are the fruits of that spirit? Instead of being bitter, angry, critical, censorious, 
evil, wicked, vindictive, what happens to us? What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love. Self-control, long-suffering, yeah. Goodness, kindness, patience. All of these things start to come. And why are they called the fruits of the Spirit? It's what's produced by the Spirit through us. It's not produced by us. It's through us. And we know that because we're no longer the sons of disobedience because what happens, we're grafted into the true vine. Jesus said, I am the vine. And guess what we are? We're just branches. The only thing that a branch can do is what? Produce what comes through the vine. All we can do is be fruit bearers. We go further down that road, but that's, that's enough. But what this means is he is the ruler of all demonic activity and power. The next thing that I want to show you concerning that is this. The spirit that works in the children of disobedience. The spirit that works in them. In Ephesians 2.2, 2, it said, <clears throat> Paul said, In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. What happened is we were children of disobedience, and that spirit was working in us, but that spirit no longer works in us. We're not controlled by that demonic power of Satan. We're controlled by the spirit of God. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, I always thought of, of Bob Coleman and Floyd Blevins. They both just handled themselves so well. We might be in a deacon's meeting and we'd have an issue that was tough. And both those men just had such self-control and wisdom. And uh, I said something to Bob before he got to the point where he is now in a wheelchair. I said, Bob, I said, you were always able to handle everything, even a lot of criticism, without any retribution, without saying anything back. He said, well, he said, I learned that from several men. He said, Floyd Blevins was one. And he said, Henry Perryman was another. Now, you, many of you don't know Henry Perryman. That happens to be my grandpa, my mother's dad. And said, he always thought through everything before he said anything. Now, my grandpa liked to talk. But he was a thinker. And he knew that to bring things together, you didn't need to have a spirit of disobedience. Well, let's see what time we have. We've got plenty of time. Let's look at Satan's strategies for just a moment. Uh, I call this his POW strategy. And what I mean by POW strategy is prisoner of war attacks. His prisoner of war attacks. Now, he assaults the lost. And the reason that, 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 that he assaults the lost, the lost is to keep them from understanding the gospel. And uh, as, he, as he attempts to keep them from understanding the gospel, we've already seen the passage, but we'll put the passage back up on the board again. It's 2 Corinthians 4, 4. There we go. And again, it, whose mind the God of this age has blinded who do not believe lest the, God, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God should shine on them. So he tries to keep people from understanding the gospel. 
Now, if I were going, if, if I ask you, what is the gospel? What would you say? It's a death, burial, and resurrection. Where do we find that at? In the perfect place, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. You ask some people, what's the gospel? And they'll say, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. No, those are the gospels. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection. That is the gospel. And his desire is to keep them from understanding the gospel. And our desire is to speak the truth of the word of God that the gospel would reach people. Secondly, not only to keep them from understanding the gospel, but also to keep them from believing the gospel. And uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of people that just, they may understand, but they don't believe. And that's, that's that second strategy, that second line. And as we look at this, look in chapter 8 of Luke, I believe, verse 12. This is the parable of the sower. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. They hear it. But guess what happens? The devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. <clears throat> you ever seen someone just seem to be on fire for the Lord for their 15 minutes and they're done? You ever seen that? They heard, but the devil snatched the truth away before they really received. Because remember what it says in John's Gospel, in chapter 1, verse 12, that <clears throat> you have to receive and believe. Receive and believe. And those Jewish people did not Receive. Many believed. Nicodemus believed. Hopefully, thankfully, I believe that he did receive. He went and retrieved the body of, of Jesus from the cross. Matthew 13, 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes, snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. Again, the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. Also in Mark chapter 4 verse 15. And these are the ones again, same story. And why, why would all three of those be in Matthew, Mark, and Luke? Because they are the synoptic gospels. The synoptic gospels. 90% of the material in Matthew, Mark, and Luke it's in all three gospels. Only 10% of that material is found in John's gospel. Why? Because they were writing for different reasons, writing about Jesus from different perspectives. And Mark says, these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately. Now, <clears throat> when you read Mark's gospel, you're going to find that word immediately over and over and over and over again. And every time I think about that, I ask one of my professors, I said, why is Mark, why is it immediately, immediately, immediately? He said, because he's pointing, he's pointing out the fact that Jesus was in a hurry to make sure he accomplished everything that the Father wanted him to before he went to the cross. 
Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. And read through the Gospel of Mark, and every time you come to that word immediately, underline it. Underline it. And see how many times you have. And then come and tell me. To trap them as their captives. Next. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25 and 26. Paul writing to Timothy said, In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses I love that and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by, by him how and why to do his will that's his strategy that's his prisoner of war attacks he assaults the lost to keep them from understanding the gospel. Secondly, to keep them from believing the gospel. And thirdly, to trap them as his captives. That's why Jesus said that he set, came to set the captives free. Why? Because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And we needed to be free. Now, I'm going to go through one more thing. And that's his political attacks. He comes to control the world and the affairs of this world. Now, 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. We know that we are of God. Now, <clears throat> by the way, 1 John was written that we might know that we know that we know that we know that we are born again and have eternal life because the Spirit dwells in us. So when you read John's Gospel, his first epistle, there are five, five tests. As you read through there, find those five tests that affirm your salvation. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Again, we're of God, but the whole world, the world system, lies under the sway of the wicked one. The whole world. John chapter 12, verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Again, we looked at that earlier, but I wanted you to see again that this world is under the rulership of Satan. How many remember? I mean, how many here grew up when you considered America a Christian nation. What's happened to us? I remember <clears throat> he was correct, made a lot of people mad. But I remember when President Obama said, America isn't a Christian nation. It was founded as a Christian nation. Founded upon the principles of the Word of God. But we have drifted a long way. And if you remember the statistic I gave you from a couple of Sundays ago, for the first time in the history of the United States of America, under 50% of Americans claim Christianity. 47%. First time. We need revival. 
We need revival. We already seen 2 Corinthians 4, 4, so we won't have to put that one up there. Again, that's Prince of the Power of the Air. <clears throat> and who's bind the God of this age has blinded. Uh, let's go to He has control over nations and their leaders. We've kind of looked at a little bit of this out of Daniel, but look again at Daniel chapter 10 and verses 12 through 13. And then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. <clears throat> There is a spiritual battle going on that we cannot see. But it is more real than what we see. And people, political people, often are pawns of Satan. Archangel Michael. Mm -hmm. It is. Uh, let's look at Revelation 13, 1, 1 and 2. And John says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on the horns ten crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of the bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him power, his throne, and great authority. Again, it's talking about this new world order and the leadership of the Antichrist. Controlling the world. Second Thessalonians, I believe. Yep, 2 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. You know, I. <clears throat> obviously don't know when the Lord will return. No man does. Someone claims to, don't believe them. But you know, it sure can't be far away, can it? I don't understand how God can put up with us as he does. His compassion is the only way. But you know, there's going to come a day <clears throat> when that last soul will be brought into the kingdom and the trumpet of the Lord will sound. The dead in Christ will rise first. And then we will go and be with the Lord. That's looking better and better all of the time. We just pray that people would be saved before that time. All right. God bless you. Thank you for coming out. It's getting dark early. It makes you want to go to bed early. Let's stand. Go to the Lord in prayer. All right. Jason, dismiss us, please.